والسلام على رسول الكريم وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنتي ليوم الدين All praise due to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be on his last prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day The topic of today's khutbah is a continuation on the theme of spending in the way of Allah which was introduced and spoken about some three to four weeks ago on two khutbahs successively by the regular imam of the masjid but for the last couple of weeks another imam has taken over and uh, the regular imam returned and has continued on in the theme of spending in the way of Allah and the aspect of spending in the way of Allah which he spoke about today is what is known in uh, Islamic Arabic terminology as waqf and that is we translate it usually as a trust a trust fund uh, wherein certain monies have been or certain properties have been set for a particular uh, charitable cause benefiting people this may be done whilst the person is living or after their death you know, benefiting people and it is classified under the general heading of the continual charity which is or was addressed by Prophet Muhammad in the well-known hadith in Sahih Muslim in which he said that when a man dies that his deeds are cut off except for three he, has no, no, he can no longer benefit from the things of his life except for three things which he has done or which is a product of his efforts one is what is called sadaqa jariah or jariah that is continual uh, charity charity whose benefit continues to benefit people uh, and that is knowledge from which people benefit and the last one is a righteous child who prays for that person after a person's death these things continue to benefit them the continual benefit also includes what Prophet referred to as the Sunnah Hasana that when a person starts a good practice he starts to do something which is good and beneficial to people in any way that everybody who follows that particular path the reward that they earn from following that path a similar reward will be given to the person who started the practice so though there are three the general things which are referred to by the Prophet these will include this other principle the principle of starting a good sunnah or a good way 
And this was something which the companions of the Prophet Muhammad uh, did. The early Muslims were well known for putting aside uh, certain wealth or property which would benefit the general people. Uh, there is a particular hadith which the Imam spoke about uh, with regards to Omar عنه, the second caliph who had received what he considered to be the most valuable uh, booty from any other battle that had taken place in and that was from the battle of Khaybar I believe if I can remember correctly and um, he had asked the Prophet what to do with it and the Prophet had advised him to give of it in charity. And the purpose of the waqf or the trust is first and foremost to bring one closer to Allah. It is an act of worship which one does in which one seeks to become closer to Allah, to become more beloved by Allah seeking the pleasure of Allah. And the second purpose is that of benefiting other humans. Consequently, when one considers doing uh, or setting up a trust, one should keep in mind these two principles and choose trust which will have the maximum benefit. There will be the best way that one can come closer to Allah and they will benefit the most number of people. So he gave different examples you know, of some types of trust that people have done which, whose benefit is very small. You know, and, he, and he recommended instead uh, doing trusts like that of building masjids because if a person builds a masjid it has to be like waqf it is something which is not owned by anybody you know although it is not uncommon in many countries that people will build masjids amongst Muslims they will build a masjid and this masjid will be their property you know uh, but actually this is not really a masjid in the true sense. The masjid cannot be owned by anybody. You know, this is for Allah. So if you have property and that you want to use it for prayer, we call this a musalla, a place of prayer. But it is not really a masjid unless it is owned by God alone. It's not owned by other people. You know, you can't do with it as you please. Because if masjid or building which is in, in my name, if I change my mind next year, I want to use it for something else, I can change it. You know? Well, this is not allowed. The masjid is a masjid. I mean, unless it reaches a situation where there are no more people benefiting from it, people have moved away from that area or whatever, and the land may be sold, and uh, another masjid set up someplace else where people can benefit from it. But... Um, Other uh, principles of um, or suggestions that he made for trust is like setting up of Quranic schools, 
where the memorization of the Quran uh, is taught or the teaching of the Sunnah uh, of publishing books you know certain books which um, are beneficial and uh, I remember particularly there's one uh, book um, Islam and Christianity you know if you notice inside of it it's written there that this is a waqf by Begum somebody or the other you know from Pakistan some woman had made the printing of this as a trust and it is continually printed you know every so often so many thousands of copies are printed and distributed freely the other example that he gave which is more common from the past is that of the digging of wells you know and and of course this may become significant in our times when we look in the areas of the Muslim world where there is the need you know in places like Somalia where people are in a death, very destitute situation where there is a need for the digging of wells to provide water for the people because the, the uh, water system is broken down due to the, the, fight, the fighting that is going on there so to build, to build a well there you know, which would be for the general benefit of the populace this would be a very good walk for trust that one could do then he pointed out that one is not allowed to set up a trust which has in it sin it has in it some principle or or act which is disliked by Allah for us to set up for example a, a walks by borrowing money from the bank you know with interest and putting our money in it on the basis that it was say economic project which would eventually pay off the interest you know and then it would be free to continue so this, uh, this is involving sin though your intention may be very good the fact that you are uh, involving a sinful act of dealing in interest with it then you are destroying the value of it this is not an acceptable form of work also if one sets aside this work and it is for the benefit of your children for example and it is possible to set aside a trust for your children it cannot be for some children and not others you know like some of the children you like more than the others so you set aside the special trust which will benefit them and the others don't benefit from the trust no this is prohibited so he quoted the verse from the Quran which Allah said in Allah that Allah commands justice and he quoted the statement of Prophet on one occasion when uh, one of the companions had um, mentioned to him that he had given something to some of his children and not given to some of the others but he said fear Allah and be just uh, amongst your children but, you know in a general principle it's not allowed for Muslims you know to give presents to some children and not give to others you know there has to be justice in whatever we do of course the presents that are given may not be the same you know you have one child who's big who what you're buying for him something maybe more expensive than another child who's smaller you know uh, that's not a problem but the idea that you're not cutting off others uh, 
while favoring some. And one is not allowed also to leave a trust when one is in a state of debt. You know, because a person might think that um, they may die or whatever and they want to take out some of their money to benefit some of their family or, or they think to benefit themselves after their death. This is not allowed when one is in a state of debt. One must pay off one's debt before uh, making any trust. And the trust should not block some of your inheritors from receiving your money. Like some people, you know that if you die, you've got living parents, for example. If you die, your parents will inherit some of your money. So um, you decide to make your money a trust for your children and in doing so of course you've cut your parents off from being able to inherit from you such acts again are uh, not permitted and this is of course we're saying this falls under the general category of making a trust which involves something which is sinful something displeasing to Allah then he pointed out that the Setting of a trust whilst you're living is better than doing so after you die. You know? Because when you do it when you're living, because when the Prophet you know, had, had made a statement to that effect, that when he was asked that what was the best form of charity, because this trust is like a form of charity, he had said that uh, the best form is to do so when you're healthy and fearing poverty. See, because what the whole idea, you know, the, because we said that the first principle is that of getting closer to Allah, of growing spiritually. That spiritual growth involves struggle, struggle against your desire. So when you are in a state of health, you're not on the verge of dying, when you can't benefit from the money anymore, Right? So you say, okay, I'll leave it for my inheritance. And you're in a state, because you're healthy, you know, you're in a state of wanting to hang on to your wealth. Because you are worried, you know, maybe the wealth goes, you will not have money next year, you can't take of certain things you want to do, etc. So you fear poverty. And when you give at that time, you see, this involves a much greater spiritual act on your part. You have to overcome your own desire to want to hold on to that wealth. And so it's it, it spiritual benefit for yourself is much greater. It's a greater act of bringing you closer to Allah. So it's better to give uh, or set up a trust whilst you're living than after you die. Though, of course, you know, if you do so after you die, there's still benefit. But we're just talking about what is better. It's important to note also that the setting up of trust is also an act of thanksgiving. You know, it is similar to the slaughtering of the animals like on the Eid. You know, um, this act of taking out a portion from your wealth and benefiting others with it. This is an act of thanksgiving from the Islamic perspective. How do we give thanks to God? It's not merely by saying Alhamdulillah. Yes, this is good. We should say Alhamdulillah when good things happen to us. We thank Allah verbally. But that 
verbal thanks is only real if it comes from the heart. And when it comes from the heart, it is going to affect more than just the tongue. It is going to be real in your daily uh, Islamic life. It is going to be reflected in your actions. So when you take from your wealth and you use it to benefit others, that is the best way of giving thanks, the true thanks for what Allah has given you. Because you know, you're, you're clearly demonstrating that you know that that wealth was from Allah. It's not your own. It was from Allah as a trust. And when you use it well, you are rewarded for it. When you use it in an evil fashion, you will be punished for it. And then the Imam expressed his surprise when he hears of or he meets people who only spend their money on their families. They only spend their monies on their immediate relatives, wives, children, you know, they go for trips around the world, whatever, and they don't give any charity. They would not set aside any of their money for any charity. You know, he just said it is such a, a sorrowful sight. The person has really destroyed his future. That wealth, the benefit of the wealth is destroyed in when he acts in this fashion. Though we are commanded to spend on our families. It's true. Prophet had said that the best money you spend is on your family. You know? So, in other words, what he's saying is that this is first and foremost. That is, you don't spend on everybody else and you leave your family in poverty. When one of the companions came to him and said he wanted to, you know, uh, give away all his, his wealth, you know, because he knew he was going to die, and he, he wanted to give away all his wealth in charity, Prophet said, no. We said, okay, can I give away half of it? He said, no. He said, a third of it. He said, okay, but even a third is plenty. He discouraged them from doing that. He said, because it is better for you to leave your family able to take care of themselves than to die and leave them, and they're begging. They have to go and beg other people. So, we are obliged to spend first and foremost on our families. But the thing is that we should not be excessive. We should not only spend on our family. Of course, if one's money is only enough to spend on one family, we're not talking about such a circumstance. We're talking about a person who has enough. He spends on family, there's more left. But instead of looking at other ways and means to help others, he thinks, now how else can I spend this on my family? This is the idea. Then uh, he mentioned... He quoted uh, the verse in the Quran in which, you know, Allah had said, O oh, you believe, Ya Allah, Amanu, Amfiqu mimma razaqnaakum min qabli an yatiya yawman la bay'un fihi wa la kullatun wa la shafa'a. That is, that O oh, you who believe, that you should spend of the wealth which we have given you, is Allah speaking, before a day comes, that is the day of judgment, your death, which begins the process of your judgment, wherein there is no trade, 
You can no longer barter, make any kind of bartering. And there is no intercession. Nobody can come in and intercede for you on behalf of the money that you didn't spend, etc. Use it now while you have the means. And then, in the second part of the khutbah, he made a comparison between what is known as wasiya, or the bequest, and the waqf, the trust. That a wasiya, that is when a person uh, leaves a will, he is allowed to leave up to one-third of it for people who would not normally inherit from him. He cannot leave it for the people who will inherit only people who would not normally inherit from him. He can leave up to one-third of his wealth. This may even be non-Muslim. Because normally if a Muslim dies, if he has non-Muslim relatives, then they cannot inherit according to the regular inheritance division any of that wealth. If he has a son who leaves Islam, or a son who never accepted Islam, then that child is not entitled to any of his wealth. Except if he sets aside out of the one-third which is allowed to be uh, given as a bequest from, from that portion. He said that there is a difference between this wasiya, where you're allowed to give this one-third, and the wants, in the sense that in the case of the wasiya, which is limited to one-third, once it has been made, you can't change it. You can't increase it, you can't vary it. Once it has been made and set, it is set. Furthermore, you're not allowed to do it if you're in a state of... Uh, sorry, you are allowed to do it even if you're in a state of death. You can, in this case, make a wasil. Because what happens is that when the time for division of wealth comes after your death, the debts will be paid before anything is looked at. That's the first thing that is taken care of. If the debts eat up all of your inheritance and the wasiya, then finish. That's it. But that's the first thing that is taken care of before the wasiya is looked at and the other form of inheritance. So, in summing up, this was a fairly short khutbah today. The Imam advises us to utilize some of our wealth we have surplus wealth, to utilize it in the form of trusts which would benefit people while we're living and after we die. That this is a form of thanksgiving, of showing, demonstrating our true gratitude to Allah for the blessings that He has given us. It is a means of bringing us closer to Allah, so we should do so keeping that in mind. And it's a way of benefiting people and benefiting ourselves, so again we should also keep that in mind that we try to make maximum benefit when we set aside our monies in this fashion. If there were uh, any uh, points from the khutbah uh, which I missed, we'd like to add those who followed the khutbah in Arabic. Uh,
there are any comments anybody would like to make or question Well, in this case, because the non-Muslim child really has no right, I mean, beyond what you choose charitably to do, it would not be a requirement on you. If that child has chosen this belief, it's not a requirement on you now to spend up your wealth on that child. You know, if you chose to do so, you know, for the purpose of trying to bring that person closer to Islam, you see that that might benefit them, you know, then it's for you to do so. Yes. No, it's not there. But again, you know, yeah, it would be it would be good. I mean, if you see that it is going to be of benefit. But if you have a child, for example, who is, you know, who is stubborn. I mean, it just really is not responding in any way towards coming to Islam. You see, then why waste it? Better to go and give it to a, a Muslim who is not related to you. They have more right on your money than that child. Uh, our brother's question concerning naming if a person establishes a trust like a mosque is it allowable to name it after a particular person um, there's nothing which prevents it The only case which would be not permissible is if one named the mosque after a disbeliever, for example. You know? Like for us in America to name a mosque, you know, Elijah Muhammad or Clara Muhammad or something like this. Uh, actually, but uh, in case of Islamic Once the child reaches puberty, this is the age of what is called taklif. Uh, the age at which the child now is held to account by Allah. Once the child has reached puberty, this is the, 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 the beginnings of maturity, uh, he now has the capability of making a reasoned choice. He now becomes responsible. It's from that point, around 15 years old, something like this. 15 plus. So until then, 
Uh, normally speaking, if it is a child from your family, I mean that that uh, you know you you would assume the child is Muslim if the child is doing the Islamic practices. But what we were talking about, you know, our circumstance. For example, some of us uh, before Islam, uh, we had um, married, for example, and uh, divorced, and after a person has accepted Islam, maybe the mother of your child has not accepted Islam and she has been raising the child now as a Catholic. You cannot now say, well this child is a Muslim because he's my child. No. For all intents and purposes, that child is a Catholic, a Christian. When he reaches the age of maturity, then he has to make a decision. You have to try to influence the child, of course to try to give the child as much information as you can so that he can make a correct choice. Can you follow the circumstance? But under normal circumstances, you and your wife, you're both Muslims, the child is born, the child is considered Muslim growing up in your family with him. This is sort of general consideration. Brother? Well, the setting up of trust in our brother's questions is concerning the idea of, of a mosque not being owned by any individual. You know, as you said, in these in Muslim countries, it's, it's easy enough because it's a principle recognized according to Islamic law that, you know, this can take place. And so there's not any problem. Even the Muslim countries where that are ruled by non-Muslims, uh, still they recognize certain aspects of Islamic law, so these are allowed, no problem. However, in countries of the West, say in America or Philippines, Europe, uh, where they have strict laws concerning, you know, ownership of property, uh, he questioned uh, in such circumstances where they would or may require you to actually own it, uh, what would you do in this case? As I, I would say that in these countries, they do have a principle of trust. In the West, in America, in the uh, Philippines, they do have principles of trust, where trusts are set up. They do. And the trust is set up according to certain principles. It does, it's not owned by any particular individual. It's, it's, it's defined. Legally, this can be set up. The laws of the West do not prevent the setting up of trust. They may have some kind of stipulations that normally are not required in, uh, uh, in Muslim countries, but in general... Our brother's question concerning institutions which are income generating, uh, could these be considered or could the WAPs be in this category? This is really what you're asking, I think. Huh? Yes, 
walk, which is very good to have a walk which generates income from which people will benefit, from which will keep the, the uh, thing that you have set aside uh, going. For example, you may uh, build a school and connected to the school you build some shops. The shops are rented, the money is from the shops to help to maintain the school. You know, this is perfectly valid and uh, it is uh, highly recommended, especially in countries where uh, Muslims are in a minority and they need these kind of, of um, projects which will be income generating as opposed to uh, trying to maintain them through charity, the collection of, uh, of donations and charity. categories that the Prophet spoke of wherein a person may continue to receive benefit after his death that is that is knowledge which people benefit from if a person has written a book with the idea of benefiting people but also with the idea of making money the economic project to earn some income he publishes a book so that book serves a dual purpose. When the book is sold, he earns money from it, and at the same time, the knowledge in it is benefiting people. Now, when that person dies, the book continues to be sold. His children may reap uh, the economic benefits from it. Uh, does he also gain from the knowledge which people continue to benefit from the book? Or, or is it reduced by the fact that he is making money from it? No. The principle is that as long as people are benefiting from the knowledge, then you will benefit from it also. As long as you have done it, you know, with the intention of pleasing Allah. I mean, intention of pleasing Allah doesn't mean that you cannot also have an economic factor that you benefit from it also. But it's just that your intention should be that of pleasing Allah. Because if your intention, for example, was fame, you're writing a book because, you know, for you to get a bestseller would mean your name is in lights and everybody knows you, you're famous. I mean, this was your intent. People may benefit from the knowledge in the book, but you won't benefit from it. Because your intent was corrupt. Can property which has been set aside as what be rented to non-Muslims? Yes. However, if there are Muslims who have need for it, they should be given preference. You know, but if uh, there aren't any, uh, then to rent it to non-Muslims so that uh, the income can benefit. Of course, if it's a non-Muslim who is setting up a cigarette shop, you know, selling alcohol, 
of course then we can't rent it to him. We can only rent it to him to use it in a fashion which is Islamically allowable. Non-Muslims in both cases, so you no, need to. Yeah, no, right. Muslims who have who, who want the property but they can't afford the rent. Mm -hmm. But they have not to afford the rent. Who wants to own the property? Okay. The president charges the property. Brother created a scenario for us here now. <laughs> uh, if a person has, if there is a masjid and there is a as a means of generating income for the maintenance of the mosque, etc. And there are some Muslims who need this property to live on, for example. But they don't have money to pay for it. But there are non-Muslims who are willing to rent it and pay. What would you do at that juncture? The principle is that if that land had been set aside as a means of generating income to maintain the mosque, then that should be what it is used for. You cannot then now give away that land to say, okay, I'm going to give it away to some Muslims. No. So, in this case, where the non-Muslims, and better, let the non-Muslims come earn income from the land, and you use some of that income, to benefit or to help, if in the the, um, the the way in which the trust was set up, that it's possible uh, that the income coming from it can be used for more than the mosque, then better to have used that additional income to help those people who are in need. But the rules concerning the trust, you know, they're sort of quite rigid, you know, that you really don't have the freedom to uh, to modify it, you know, as one may choose, you know. Up here. If a woman has a debt, and she gets married, does the husband inherit the debt? If a woman has a debt, and she gets married, does the husband become responsible for her debt? No. Her debt is her debt. As her money is her money. If he chooses to take responsibility, he can do so. Um, if she makes it a condition in her marriage, then he is obliged. But if she just comes and he, you know, after they've been married for so many years, she informs him, well, listen, you know, I have this big, huge debt from the old days or whatever, you know. Uh, this is your responsibility. No, it's not his responsibility. Okay. I have a question about uh, is there any difference of inheritance between Arabic and Islamic? All have the same Okay, our brother's questions concerning the inheritance laws as they are applied 
in the various schools of Islamic law. The basic divisions, there is no difference at all. Because there are some things which have been clearly defined in the Quran. Then there are other things which have been defined in the Sunnah authentically. And these things, basically, there are no difference about. However, there are certain other far relatives and certain other circumstances which arose after the time of the Prophet in which the Sahaba, the companions themselves, differed as to how to handle it. And in the differences or the different opinions that they put forward, you find some of the schools taking different rulings accordingly. So there, there are some differences in the uh, very you know, minor uh, issues which come you know, on sort of rare occasions. But the main general distribution, father, mother, uncle, brother, sister, these, it's all the same. Question, are adopted children eligible to inherit like children of your own blood? No. In the case of adopted children, this is when, you, if you want to leave for them, you have to use the wasiya, the bequest. You, have to, you can give them up to one-third of your wealth. For example, normally speaking, you know, if you died and only left a son behind, right, he will automatically have access to one-half of the wealth of their parents, you know. But if you had, for example, a son by adoption, the maximum that you could give him in bequest is one-third. So he will not fall under those laws. Or the son, if there are no parents, he can take all of the wealth. There are no other, you know, inheriting relatives. The son is there. He will take all of the wealth. But if you had left an adopted son, the most that he could take is one-third. If you wrote it as a wasiya. If you didn't write anything, then he is not entitled to anything. It will go to the state. Yes, well, see, or if it is said in front of witnesses where we have people can confirm that this in fact has been uh, made. Yeah. Any other questions? are non-Muslims and they die this is when the picture I think is most clear when they die they leave behind a will in which they have given wealth to all of their children except for the Muslim child now in uh, non-Muslim societies in the West or East you'll find cases where a will may have been left behind but because there is grave injustice in it it is possible for some people who are relatives to question that will and demand you know another division of the wealth and sometimes the government may 
may agree and they will divide it up in accordance with the general inheritance laws that they function by. As a Muslim, you are not allowed to inherit in this fashion. So you could never contest the will. Yeah, that's amongst themselves. So Muslims, because Prophet said, the Muslim does not inherit from the, the, the Kafir, the disbeliever, nor does the Kafir disbeliever inherit from the Muslim. This is according to the normal inheritance laws. But this does not include a will. If you non-Muslim parents leave a will, they write a will and say, I want to give so much of my wealth to my, non, my Muslim child, that is it's allowable for you to take, to take this. And similarly, you are allowed to write a will, this is the bequest in which you give something to one of your uh, non-Muslim relatives who say, for example, is very kind looking after your children in your absence. You came over here to work, you have a non-Muslim sister who's looking after your children. You know, uh, she's done good. Uh, for you to do bad good to her, of course, Islamically it is recommended. It's good. Does Islam allow adoption? If adoption means that the child's name is changed and your name is put on the end, this is not allowed. But to raise a child in your family, looking after that child as if he were your own child, this is something recommended. But the idea of changing the name, because this is what has been becomes now a principle of adoption in uh, uh, non-Muslim societies that the child becomes literally your child has all the rights of your blood children to inherit and everything else you know and for example that child you know would not marry your daughter you know who is your by blood no no in Islamic law this is not the case I mean that adopted person that you brought in family can marry your daughter this is not because the adoption does not bring the person within your family tree. This is somebody who you are uh, being charitable towards, you're looking after. That's as far as it goes. Mm -hmm. This is a good point, you know, that in the case where you have brought somebody into the family, from the Islamic perspective, you do not give that child the impression that they are in fact your child. In the West, if you've, been, you know, you've adopted a child very small, you will raise them and the child will never know. Maybe out of anger one day you might say something. <laughs> You know, but otherwise, uh, normally people just keep this hidden from the children. This is wrong, Islamically, no. It's not allowed to do this. You raise a child, the child should know that you are not his parent. I mean, you treat them very nicely, etc. But uh, the child has the right to know who his own parents are and, you know, what his background was, etc. You know, when he comes of age and he wants to know these things, you inform them. You don't hide, keep these things hidden from them. What do you recommend? You've got the owner, George Holmes, of property in 
it is possible for a husband to put his wife's name on the property that it is 50-50 owned by them in other words what he's doing he's giving away whilst he's living half of the value of his property to his wife he may do this however uh, this is commonly done in the West however really the normal practice in Islam is that his wealth is his wealth she has a right from it which Allah has defined when he dies she gets it you know um, if she has put equally in economically to getting this particular property then she has equal right in that sense but a situation where like in the west uh, you know if you divorce a woman all of a sudden the courts now come and divide up everything you have 50-50 and they're giving the woman you know maybe even 60-40 or whatever else you know of course Islamically I mean especially if you're living in the in western circumstances or any other country where they'll do this kind of thing it's very important for you not to do that because this woman may demand her rights according to the law which may be contrary to Islamic you just keep it in your name no, well, in, in this, uh, in the case of um, of the payment of alimony and these type of things, I mean, the only way that you could avoid that would be to to have your wealth secret. But you cannot bring the Islamic laws over there and anyway because the laws of the land is quite entirely Right. Uh, in, in, in the case where uh, you have property which is even your own in the case of divorce in the West, the, the government does step in. The only way you can avoid that is by having other property. Your property is um, uh, not under your name, or you know, it is hidden property. You know, value wealth. This is the only way you can uh, avoid that. But what I was saying was, in terms of the person who, for example, uh, is married and he puts his wife's name on the property, you know, then that gives her much more access. Uh, if she decides for example she wants to sell they're not even divorced she decides she wants to sell she may now have abilities to to, to um, put that person in debt or whatever which uh, you know Islamically does not really uh, uh, would not be for the benefit of the family and we may deprive the, the children ultimately from uh, their rights you know by way of inheritance Any other questions? Oh.
बात करते क्वेश्चन ऑफ अवर ब्रदर वी कॉमनली सी पीपल आफ्टर मेकिंग द कम्पल्सरी प्रेयर्स एंड देर गोइंग टू मेक वॉलंटरी प्रेयर्स दे शिफ्ट देयर प्लेस दे वो गो फॉरवर्ड साइड विज बैकवर्ड इज समथिंग यू नो इज दिस क्वेश्चन वज इज दिस एन ऑथेंटिक प्रैक्टिस और इज दिस समथिंग रेकमेंडेड शुड वी बी डूइंग दिस दिस इज बेस्ड ऑन ए हदीज फाउंड इन अबू दाऊद However, this hadith is not authentic. In which the Prophet Sallam had said that if you are going to make uh, another prayer, that you should either move forward or move to the side, something like this. No, but uh, this is not authentic. Uh, it is perfectly okay for you to pray in the same spot. I mean, some people have gone to give certain other rationales that, well, you know, when you go and pray in another spot, every place that you make sujood. you know will 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 give witness for you on the day of judgment so the more places you can make sujood on is the more witnesses well no no i mean if you make sujood on this place twice then it gives twice the witness you know really so, this is really a, not really a fact you know logical argument in that sense but um, if you wish to do so uh, it's no harm as long as you're not thinking that this is in fact sunnah and then you go and tell other people that really you should do that you know brother please move another place or you'll see sometimes it becomes a problem because you get up you want to pray the same place somebody is trying to move you out and trying to shift you because he wants to take this spot now see this is when it has gone overboard again in ignorance and there and, and and it ends up becoming you know you could say in a form of of bidah because it's not authentic practice and it is now affecting others I remember uh, reading someone from Saint Paul. Uh, I think it's Hadi, but I'm not entirely sure. I said that the Rasul of Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when he prayed for Allah, he would sit for a while and read the Sheikh, or he would move to another place because he didn't want the Sahab to think or people to think this was a continuation of the prayer, of praying in the same place. So when you just finished the group of He wouldn't then stand on Beit Sunnah to do what we might 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 misunderstand. I think this is the extra part of the book, for example. Now, what you you added something to it, which is not quite what it said. Okay, uh, the practice of Prophet Muhammad Sallam as the brother related was that uh, when he finished making a compulsory prayer, you know, he would either make sit for a while and make tasbih. and then he would get up to pray or he would move to another place uh so as not to give the people or to give the impression that this was a part of the same prayer truly he did tell us that if we complete the prayer that we should pause we should make tasbih we should not just get up as if we are continuing the same prayer but when he moved he would move and leave not to be moved to another place to make prayer in another place So he used to ask the compulsory prayers because most often the voluntary prayers that he made were done in his home. So when he finished his prayer, he would get up and leave to go to his home and pray the voluntary prayers there. Not that he shifted to another place and made another prayer in another place. This is not uh, in the narration. Okay, inshallah, we'll close. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. 
نستغفركم ونتوب إليك We ask Allah to help us to realize the responsibilities that we have in our wealth to share of this wealth with those who are in need to utilize the wealth in a way which will benefit us whilst we have the opportunity to do so whilst we are living and healthy Amen